open your Bibles with me, if you would. We're going to be in the second chapter of the book of Acts, and we're continuing in a sermon series that is called Devoted. And we've been looking at the early church in the city of Jerusalem right after Pentecost, and we've been looking at the actions of this early church and how they were devoted to aspects and behavior, devoted to areas that allowed them to grow as a church following the commands of Jesus Christ and showing a church how to function from a very small, they weren't very small, but, for, but, but from very young. You had many people who became part of this church instantly and their devotion had to have been very deep in certain areas of their lives to be able to take the gospel from Jerusalem out into the areas that they did and to have the gospel that you and I are able to present to other people. They were a congregation that was devoted to the gospel of Jesus, keeping the main thing the main thing. We talked about that as we kicked off this series a few weeks ago. They were devoted to fellowship together, in coming together, spending time together, being there on, on a regular basis. They were devoting to serving each other. This early church was also devoted to obedience. They were devoted to focusing on the words of Christ. Last week, we took the Lord's Supper. The early church was devoted to breaking bread together. And as we see in our main passage for this series, that this early church was deeply devoted to prayer. This morning, we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 43 through 47, and a message that I have titled, Just a Little Talk with Jesus. The physician and historian Luke records for us in Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47, after the apostle Peter has stood up to give the first evangelistic message that is recorded for us in the Bible, he's standing up talking to the people who are there at Pentecost and starting to lead this early church. I'm going to start in Acts chapter 2, verse number 40. And Luke writes... And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. This is Peter he's talking about, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Verse number 42. This is our key verse that we've been studying. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and in the breaking of bread, watch this, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Verse number 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We see more than a half a dozen times in these first few chapters in the book of Acts that this church comes together for 
prayer regularly, fervently, and passionately. It becomes part of the culture of the church. Not only was prayer an important part of the early life of the church, it's a direct command of Jesus Christ. It is us being obedient when we come together in prayer. Jesus says in John 14, verses 12 through 14, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also Uh, He will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You know what Christ is saying? He's saying, pray. He's saying, I want you talking to me. I want you in a one-on-one relationship with me. It's time to, to pray often. The early church was deeply devoted to prayer. It's literally talking to God. It's literally holding a conversation, a one-on-one conversation with the Lord of heaven and earth, with the creator of all things, with the Alpha and the Omega, with the, the beginning and the end, with the one who can move mountains. You can talk to him. We can talk to God. Shortly after the church was formed, Peter and John, they were at the temple at about three in the afternoon and there was this beggar outside the temple. And this guy had been there for years. Everyone knew who he was. He was just begging outside all the time. So Peter and John, and they're walking into the temple and, and, and the beggar does what he does. He says, hey, um, can you help me out with some coin? It's kind of like he came up to him at the gas station, right? He's like, hey, I'm sorry to bug you, but Um, can I have a buck or two? Peter and John, they say, you know what? I don't have any money, but what I do have, I'll give to you. And he says, get up and walk. So this man who has been crippled and lame for decades gets up and starts walking. That created some problems. That created some issues because now they're all going into the temple and people inside the temple see this guy who was begging. They see this guy who they know hasn't walked. They've never seen him walking. And now they notice him walking and they don't know how this happened. They say, how did this happen? These guys... These guys here healed me. Peter and John, they they did this. So the leaders of the temple, the rulers, they say, okay, um, yeah, we can't have this. So they take Peter and John and again, throw them in jail, right? So the next morning they bring Peter and John out of jail and they go get the guy who was healed and they bring them all in, in, in front to talk to them and the apostles started to, he, they'd all, the apostles have already explained, like before they were thrown in jail, they started talking about Jesus. They're in the temple and more than 5,000 people 
came to Christ. Now they're in jail, but yesterday they healed a guy, they brought more than 5,000 people to Christ, and now they're being hauled in front of, of the Sanhedrin, which is 71 guys who make up, uh, who make up a, a, a court or, or a, uh, um, uh, the authority. They're, they said, hey, how was this guy healed? And Peter and John, they say very boldly, they tell them that he's healed in the name of Jesus. The religious leaders, they didn't like that idea. They didn't like it at all. But see, here's the thing. They couldn't, they couldn't keep the apostles in jail and like beat them because they couldn't deny the evidence. Here's this guy. Everyone sees that he's healed, so they can't call him liars, right? And so the leaders, they decide that in order to, to keep the message from Christ from being passed out, because that wouldn't be very good for the Jewish population, right? if we have a religious riot, if we have a religious movement going on. So what they say is, they simply just tell the men, the apostles, they said, don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Like, you go, don't talk about this Jesus guy anymore. Let's pick up the action. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 in verse 18. Luke writes, So they called them and they commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. But for we can only speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all, they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. Verse 23. <clears throat> and being let go, they went to their own companions. Okay, So here's the apostles. They've been let go. They're going back to the church. They're going back to the Christians who we know are kind of living in tent city outside Jerusalem. Okay, They went back to their own companions and reported all to the, that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard that, when the church heard that, look what they did. They raised their voice to God with one accord and said, listen to their prayer, okay? Listen to this. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Watch this, verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their hearts and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. See, although there are many different aspects of, of life and, and characteristics that as a church we need to be praying for and to make part of our prayer culture, we can see this important trait from the early church praying for their church after this persecution, after the apostles come back. Point number one in your notes this morning. The church must pray for the fearlessness necessary to tell others about Jesus. The apostles came back and the church says, Lord, look on these threats and grant your service boldness. 
to withstand this, to withstand the pressures. There was massive persecution going on at that time. See, the area that they lived in, in Jerusalem here, it's governed by the Romans at this time. The Romans basically own the land, it's their territory, they let the Jews just do what they do as long as they're quiet and they don't have a bunch of upheavals and stuff. They just want kind of peace under their land. They really don't want, though, a new religious group coming up. The Romans don't. So they want to kind of keep it down. The leaders of the Jewish faith within, within the area, within Jerusalem, they really don't want a new faith coming in either. So they're going to press this new, this new movement of Christianity down. They're going to press down the, the message of Christ. One would expect that the Roman government does not want this tinderbox to just start fire and flame and spread all over their kingdom, which is vast at this point. This movement could hurt. This Christian movement, it could turn things over. And thank God this Christian movement did turn things over, amen? See, under Roman rule, this needs to be controlled. The Jewish leaders, they just want to kind of snuff this out. They want to keep a stronghold on it. They've got no interest in recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. They would do anything they could to minimize the spreading of the message. When, when the Jewish leaders found followers of Christ and the leaders, they would beat them. They would, they would scold them. They would threaten them. They would throw them in jail. That's what they did. They're trying everything they can. And what happens is the people now, the Christians, are out here praying for boldness. They're saying, hey, this is a regular part of our life now. And we have to be bold. We have to be able to, to overcome our fears to tell people about Jesus because it's that important. See, there were regular citizens who lived in Jerusalem who probably saw some of their neighbors pack up their stuff and move out to the tents with the Christians. Move out with those, start selling all of their stuff. They don't want a bunch of their neighbors leaving. They, they, they don't, you can see this brewing. You can see a new movement happening. There's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to like it too much. The government didn't want it. The religious leaders didn't want it residents of town they don't want it thank god that jesus wants it amen thank god that we have the ability to tell others there's so many people and situations in our current lives that don't want to hear the gospel of jesus our government rights and god we trust on our money but we don't want to talk about it in our government right our schools have all but forbid anything that has to do with Christ, anything that has to do with the creation story, anything that has to do with our Lord and Savior. We, we work in, we run into neighborhoods and people and, and, and groups and societies that want nothing to do with Jesus. But as a church, as a church, 
we still need to be able to walk with our Bible and to be bold to those who don't understand yet the majesty that comes with Jesus Christ. For those that don't yet know the, the power of the salvation that comes with, with knowing Jesus, that's our job. Some people get into this herd of normality, just being normal and, and just pushing faith out because they don't want to deal with it. And sometimes we find people that, would, that will talk about anything but Jesus. And sometimes as Christians, we find ourselves just saying, okay, we won't go there with you. It takes boldness to talk to some people in our, in our world about Christ, doesn't it? Doesn't it take, even as a church, last night we walked out into a neighborhood, into an area that we don't know, into an area that doesn't know us. It does. It takes boldness to go and knock on doors and wait for people. There's some people here who are really good at that. And I'm thankful that there's people who are really good at that. Because we need to be bold, right? There was a 17th century minister by the name of Samuel Chadwick. He once said, The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Even in our moment of our least resistance, we as Christians must be bold. I'm going to read again now Acts 4.29. I'm going to read this again. And I want you to see it now in a different light. It says, now, Lord, this is the prayer they're praying. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. That's my prayer for this church this morning, is that, that the Lord will look on our threats and grant us, grant us his servants the boldness that we may speak his word. And it's a prayer that we need to continue to have this boldness. This prayer was part of the culture of the early church. To be a church in prayer, it's so important because they knew that their strength didn't come from their numbers. And I'll tell you, their numbers were large. We, we just saw a minute ago that thousands came to Christ that day, right? And we had seen thousands more. This was a large church that happened very quickly, that began very quickly, and it needed to be operated very quickly. But they needed to know their strength didn't come from their numbers. Their strength came from Christ. The strength didn't come from, from their words. The strength came from the words of Christ. Their strength only came from Jesus. Jesus tells us to ask him and we shall receive if we ask in his name. We can't ask in his name if we're not in prayer. I know that sounds really kind of generic and it sounds obvious. But we can't ask in the name of Jesus if we're not praying, right? I want you to look again at Acts chapter 4 at verse 31. 
This is the result that came from corporate assembled church prayer. Verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with what? Boldness. They spoke with boldness. Prayer works, amen? Amen. There were many other areas that this early church incorporated into their, their culture. If we had been in Jerusalem around this time, we would have seen that corporate action of prayer within the church being deep, being persistent, being common. And just as boldness in prayer is a gift from God to to manage the actions of God's people as they move outward, there was also a vast amount of prayer that was focused inward. Point number two on your notes this morning. Praying for other believers in our church is vital. Praying for other believers in our church is absolutely vital. As followers of Christ with a direct line to to speak with our creator, a direct opportunity to speak with God, we minimize our effectiveness of our faith if we don't participate in an active prayer life. It's kind of like being halfway when we don't talk to Jesus fully and full-time. The church has a responsibility to bring each other to the Lord in prayer. It builds community. It builds accountability. It it helps build relationships and deep affection for each other. It opens hearts that have typically been closed. In almost every New Testament book that Paul penned, to other churches, he opens up his writings telling the congregation how he's been praying for them. And although the Bible doesn't tell us this, I would only bet that the other men that traveled with Paul were actually there with him when he's praying for these other churches. As they travel around, sometimes they have to, to stay on the outskirts of town. He has men with him, Timothy, Barnabas, Silas, and and, and Luke, and many others that have traveled with him. Can you see them around the campfire as well, praying for these other churches that Paul has started, that Paul has been to, praying back for the congregations, praying for the congregation that he's working with at that particular moment? And these men that have gone to lead other ministries are taking this teaching to other churches and saying it is so important for us to pray for each other. There was an Italian woman one time who had spoken to her priest about her inability to conceive. She was having problems. Her and her husband were struggling. And the priest assured her, just assured her to to rest in the comfort that, that Christ brings. And the priest said he was going to Rome for 10 years and and he would pray and light a candle for her. And it was about 10 years later when the priest comes back to the the village and visits the the woman and she is just trying to manage these eight kids that she now has all over her home. 
And the, the, the priest says, oh, woman, God answered our prayers and the candle worked. And, and the priest says, where's your husband? I want to congratulate him and I want to rejoice with him. And this woman just so exhausted, she shook her head at the priest and said, he is not here. He went to Rome to blow out that candle. It's just... Prayer works. I don't know if there's anyone who can, can lift their hand and said, I have prayed all my life and I have never, ever, ever seen an answer to my prayer. We know that sometimes we're demanding earthly answers to heavenly problems, right? God answers prayer, but God answers prayer by His will, right? When Christ taught us to pray, and we're going to focus on that in a few weeks, he says he's praying that whose will be done? Yeah, God's will be done, right? I don't know about you, but I'm really thankful that God doesn't answer prayers based on my will. Yeah? In Acts chapter 6, when the apostles needed to help needed help serving food to the congregation they had to explain to the members of the church which was large they had to explain to them that they needed help because the apostles were having problems getting a couple of things done they were struggling they were missing out on time to do ministry and they were also missing out on time to pray they said, hey, um, like we need this opportunity. We need to be able to pray. We need to be able to minister, and we need help. That's how important prayer was. The apostles so want to be one-on-one -on -one with everyone in this church, but they knew we cannot give up prayer time. That's how important that is. We're going to delegate. Somebody else is going to have to go one-on-one -on -one because we can't give up our time with the Lord. We can't give up our time having conversations with Jesus. Verses 6, chapter, chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, rather, show us exactly what's going on. It, it, the, the prayer that, that we see here, Luke writes, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. See, it's this verse that the leaders of the church have devoted themselves to praying continually for the church itself. You don't have to have a title to pray for the church. You don't have to have a business card that says minister of to be able to pray for the church. You don't have to have a name tag. You don't have to be a deacon, an elder, or a pastor. You simply have to be somebody who cares about your church to pray for your church. You simply have to be somebody who is willing to take the needs of other people to Jesus. Somebody who is willing to be obedient to the words of Christ. Somebody who is willing to serve. Somebody who is willing to come closer to our Lord and have a personal conversation with Him each day bringing the needs of other people. Somebody who is willing to grow closer to God as they grow further from sin. The British preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, Praying will make you leave off sinning, or sinning will make you leave off praying. 
Here at Paris Valley Community Church, we have many ways that we can share our prayer requests. Every Sunday morning, we have a prayer board right over here, and we've got markers, and we encourage anyone to walk up to the prayer board, grab a marker, write your prayer request down on that board, and I encourage everyone else to read the prayer requests, and if the Lord moves you, find someone who has written that and pray for them right here at church. Pray for them right now. This is a way that we make our prayer requests public and let people know that there's a need in our life. And I'm asking everyone to take this to the Lord in prayer. We also, we, we have, we have a, um, a Facebook group. So if you find the church on Facebook, we have a group. It's called Paris Valley Church Family. If you find that and come on into the group, we've seen people who have put prayer requests there on Facebook. And it's a great way to let others know, I need prayer. If you've joined us at Thursday Night Bible Study, you'll know that we end every Bible study with going around the table and just asking people, what, do, what can we be praying for for you? Last week, two weeks ago, we had 17 people that came into Bible study. It was a rather large group, and it took a couple of pages to write down these prayer requests. And we asked people, take your prayer requests home, put them on the refrigerator, so we can be praying about other people in our church. Sometimes our prayers become kind of self-centered at times, right? There's something we can do to be praying for others here. That's how we deepen our relationships. That's how we, we deepen our connection with others in our church. See, we happen to live in a culture that very much promotes solitude. That promotes, you can do it. Show no weakness. You got this. It's all you. You can make it happen. You over everyone. It promotes this idea that you need nothing. That you can make anything happen that you set your mind to. Right? I'll be honest with you. God can make anything happen that he sets our hearts to. He can, he can make anything happen. I'll be honest with you. I can set my mind to a lot of things that I can't make happen. I can't make happen without Jesus Christ. We need each other and we need to pray for each other. Sometimes we, we also need to remember to ask others, how can I be praying for you? When was the last time somebody asked you that? How can I be praying for you? Sometimes we have to stop and think, right? Because you almost think on the spot, well, I don't want to say nothing. I don't want to say, oh no, everything's great. Because we know that nothing's great. We know that not everything is, is great. There's always a way that someone can be praying for you, right? Here's the thing. When we give somebody else something to pray about for us, we're giving them an opportunity to serve. We're letting them bless us. We're letting them take our needs to the Lord. Because you know what? This is their obedience. This is them coming to God and lifting others up. And as we go around and ask others, how can I be praying for you? It's our responsibility to take those prayer requests 
to the Lord. There's so many things that we could be bringing up to Jesus. It is so important. It's an important piece of our church and for our church culture to be defined by our prayers for one another. We need to be known, and we want to be known as a church that prays, that's praying for each other. We want to be known for a church that's praying for our community, that's praying for Paris, that's praying for those who are in the area that we've been able to reach and those who we haven't been able to reach. We can pray in our church, we can pray in our homes, we can pray together on, on, on even, even something that we see on Facebook, that, that, hey, you know what? Somebody in our church has a need. And it gives us an opportunity to continually bring each other to Jesus. Paul might not have known the needs of all of the congregations, of the churches that he planted, and all of the places that he had been. But he knew that these churches are going to grow closer to the Lord He knew that that's a need and that's something he wanted to pray about. And he prayed constantly for even churches that he wasn't there at anymore. But when he left, he taught churches, I need you to pray. I want you to be praying for each other. Praying for the congregation and praying for each other is so important. It's more than simply praying for the congregation of our church that's desperately needed within the church. I want you to come back with me to Acts chapter 6. This is when the apostles said to the crowd to bring them seven men that could serve. I want you to see what happens once those seven men have come to the apostles. We're in chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Verse number 5. And that saying pleased the whole multitude... And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Porcherus, Nacanor, uh, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, the proselyte from Antioch, watch this, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Again, it's more than simply the apostles who are focused on these men who are about to take a leadership role. It's the congregation who is praying for these men. Point number three in your notes this morning. A healthy church will pray for its leaders. There's so many points that we could be talking about this morning when it comes to being devoted to prayer. But I feel that the Lord's really truly leading us in, in an area of where we need to see our devotion to prayer. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, we're going to talk about how in a few weeks. But these are important cultural points as we're building this church, as we talked about praying for boldness, as we talked about praying for others in the church. And I don't want this to come across as as a, a, a selfish or boastful moment at all, but I want you to see it's important for the church to pray for its leadership. From a pastoral standpoint, we'll refer to this as intercessory prayer. It's, it's prayer that others pray on your behalf. And, and we just read about the apostles praying for seven men who are going to become leaders of the church. And we know that the apostles are praying and they're teaching the rest of the church the importance of praying for their leaders. And I want to 
I want to tell you a secret, and I want to tell you something so important. It's kind of a behind-the-scenes look at this side of the church. This is pretty important and kind of simple. Get ready for it. We are all human. Every person in every single church who has a leadership role is 100% human and 100% emotional. Some of you might know that here at Paris Valley Community Church, we've been in a process of bringing together what's known as our church council. And it is a group of leaders within our church who we had nominations that were held over about four weeks. And we've been in prayer for some of these nominations. And I've, I've spoken with some, some people who are now praying. There is a leadership team that is forming in this young church. These are people who are part of the leadership of this church. And I ask for the church to pray for its leadership now to pray for the leadership of this church, what it looks like in 10 years from now, what it looks like in 20 years from now. It's more than just me. I want everyone to know that at this point, it is. It's more than just me. There are people who are right now with God praying about positions on church council. And every single one of these people are human. There's no pastor in the world who's not. We might spend more time with God. We might spend more time in sermon prep and focused on the needs of other people. But we also have human experiences. We experience joy. We experience hurt. And we experience worry. And we experience financial burden. And, and pain. And heartbreak. And yes, temptation and worldly pressures. And we experience loss and grief and loneliness and isolation. And unfortunately, common in pastoral leadership and in ministry leadership, there is a huge blanket of people who experience depression. In the last few weeks, a young pastor, even here in Southern California, took his own life. It was thought to be due to depression and the pressures of ministry. I know that it is a sin to covet. I know that. Covet means to desire, to, to crave, to want. But here from the pulpit this morning, I'm absolutely going to covet something right now. I covet your prayers. I covet your prayers for the leadership of this church. I covet your prayers for the leadership of all the churches in this town. I covet your prayers for the leaders of this church who don't yet know their leaders yet. The leaders who will, will be solidified in the next few months. I covet your prayers for the leaders of this church in years to come. I covet your prayers for leaders of this church, of ministries that, in this church that don't even exist yet. I covet your prayers for the leaders of this church who the Lord is asking to step up and serve. Yeah, I'm coveting this morning. I truly desire and crave your prayers for this church. There's a story of a 
gentleman who was applying for a job as a pastor, he'd sent in a cover letter, it read something like this. It said, gentlemen, I understand that your pulpit is vacant and I'd like to apply for the position. I have many qualifications. I've been a preacher with much success and, and I also had some success as a good organizer and I've been a leader in most places that I've been. And he continues in his cover letter and he says, I'm over 50 years old and I've never preached in one place more than three years. Some places I left the town because um, the work that I did, it kind of created controversy and riots. I've been in jail three or four times, not because of anything I really did wrong, but my health isn't very good, um, but I can still do a lot of good things. Um, there's places I've preached that have been in big cities, but they've been small churches, and I haven't really got along really well with many of the big church leaders in the towns that I've been at. In fact, some of the towns that I've preached at, other church leaders threatened me. They attacked me. They ran me out of town. They attacked me physically. I'm not very good at keeping records, and I don't really remember the people that I've baptized, but if you can use me, I'll do the best I can for you. And he signed his name at the bottom, signed the Apostle Paul. He's human. Pastor, pastoral leadership roles are filled with humans that experience the same thing that everyone does. This church is growing in its leadership capacity. We've grown to the point to where, I'll be honest with you, I can't do it all on my own anymore. And we've asked over the last few months for others to pray, to stand up, and to step up and help lead this church. And there are those that the Lord has, has brought names together. And I'm asking this church to pray for its future leaders. The kind of things that are up here on this board, these are the same things that those in leadership deal with and struggle with. Family stuff school stuff, it's all the same. If you can keep your leaders in prayer, my prayer is for our church to be devoted to prayer, is to be a church that is devoted to talking to Jesus. A church that prays fearlessly for the boldness to tell other people about Jesus is a church that is going to receive the boldness to go and talk to other people about Jesus. Amen? If that's what we're praying for in his name, guarantee you God's going to give it to us. Praying for others in our church has to be part of our culture so that we can know when things are going on in our lives and we're struggling, there's people we could call. We can pick up the phone and call people. Don't be afraid to actually use a very archaic method of communication. It's called voice. And speak to other people. You don't have to te technically, you don't have to send text messages or tweets about your prayer requests. We can talk to people. And we can talk to, isn't it a good thing that we're not limited to 140 characters when we talk to God? 
We could pray for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. We could pray all day. I'm thankful that we can pray to our Lord and Savior one-on-one. I'm thankful that we're a healthy, we're growing as a healthy church that understands the devotion to prayer that keeps us obedient, it keeps us healthy, it keeps us growing our brothers and sisters in Christ, it keeps us together, and it keeps us right in front of God. Because if we're not in front of God, we're in front of someone, right? I don't know who else I'd rather be in front of than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.